Standing for life. Personally opposed does nothing to actually stand up for the protection of innocent human beings. It does nothing to help. It's coming from a place of pain and a culture full of broken psyches trying to cover up for the trauma of abortion and rejected motherhood. Standing for truth. You got three days in the belly of a giant fish trying to figure out why you went west when God specifically told you to go east. But we all do this. You're not going to confess something the priest has never heard. You haven't invented any new sins. Whatever your struggle, you're not alone. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to heal brokenness. This is Ready to Stand on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Here's your host, Colin Harrod. Hello and welcome to you. This is Ready to Stand, Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You're home for a weekly discussion on how to build a culture of life. I am Colin Harrod. Cullen at kvss.com is the email. C-U-L-L-E-N at kvss.com. Lord, let your mercy be upon us as we place our trust in you. Psalm 33, Lord, let your mercy be upon us as we place our trust in you. Upright is the work of the Lord and all his works are trustworthy. He loves justice and right of the kindness of the Lord. The earth is full. Again, that's Psalm 33. That is the psalm chosen for this Sunday's liturgy, the fifth Sunday of the Easter season. Very timely psalm for us. Over the past two weeks on this program, you've heard my interview with Dr. John Bruchalski. Very blessed and humbled to have been able to speak with Dr. Bruchalski. Very inspiring story. Uh, if you want to hear that interview, you can visit spiritcatholicradio.com slash ready to stand. Spiritcatholicradio.com slash ready to stand because we were talking to Dr. Bruchalski last week, didn't get a chance to touch on the big news of the week here in Nebraska. That of course being that the Nebraska heartbeat act did not advance past the second round of debate. This was a particularly heartbreaking development, uh, not only because the bill failed to advance, but because of the way that the situation unfolded. And by now, perhaps you know the story. Uh, There was a senator from Ralston, Senator Merv Reapy, who voted to advance the bill past the first round. In other words, he voted to invoke cloture, which is a way to end filibuster and vote on a bill. The Nebraska unicameral needs 33 votes to invoke cloture and to end the debate so that a bill can be voted on. Senator Reapy voted in favor of cloture in the first round of debate. During the second round of debate... Senator Reapy introduced an amendment that would change the basic structure of the bill, moving it from a heartbeat act, roughly a ban on abortions after about six weeks. Uh, And he moved it to a 12-week abortion ban. That was the amendment that he introduced. Make it a 12-week abortion ban instead of a heartbeat act. The amendment did not have the support. Senator Reapy did not get a vote on the amendment. And then when it came time to vote for cloture on the Heartbeat Act, he voted present, not voting, essentially putting an end to the Heartbeat Act during this legislative session. It was a stunning development, the way that I see it, uh, to say the least. Senator Reapy was among the co-sponsors of the original bill. It was unclear why his stance changed and he decided to abandon his support of the Heartbeat Act. I know what he said on the floor of the legislative chamber during the debate. 
And beyond that, I'm not really willing to speculate. Okay, I don't want to gauge in speculation. I don't know what changed. But he went from a co-sponsor of the bill to talking on the floor about how we need to embrace the future of reproductive rights, quote unquote. It's a baffling turn of events. And honestly, even as I'm sitting here preparing for this program a week after the fact, I'm still stunned. And I'm still as disappointed as I was in the moment. It's just heartbreaking. The bill was on track. And it's not just Senator Reapy. There were 16 other senators who voted uh, against this bill. So I don't mean to single him out. But what happened, happened. And I can't pretend like I'm not stunned and disappointed. Lord, have mercy on us as we place our trust in you. So the Heartbeat Act failed to advance. Thank you again to all of you who called your legislators, who reached out to encourage support. I know there are some organizations working behind the scenes right now to figure out a way uh, to bring back something similar, either through a motion to reconsider or by adding an amendment to a different bill. I'm so grateful for the organizations that are pursuing this. The reality remains that this is basically over for this year. And unless the senator who voted against it this year is willing to reconsider, it's probably over for next year as well. And then we will see how the legislative body shakes out after the next election. Again, there's just, there's no way to sum up the level of disappointment here. And so to echo the psalmist from Sunday's liturgy, Lord, have mercy on us as we place our trust in you. This psalm, this weekend, it really strikes a chord and it forces me, perhaps it forces you as well, to ask myself, in the face of this massive disappointment in the Nebraska legislature, in the face of the disappointment, this sorrow, do I trust in the Lord. Do I trust in the Lord? That is our calling. Those of us working to build a culture of life, that is for us. Place our trust in the Lord. It didn't work out politically for us this time. Do we still trust in the Lord? I hope so. Because the alternative is distrust. And the form of that is despair. Okay, despair. The Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us, paragraph 2091, that despair is contrary to God's goodness and to his justice. By definition, it is the loss of hope in regards to one's obtaining salvation. But more broadly speaking, despair is the loss of hope. And again, it's contrary to God's goodness and his justice. So don't despair, my friends. No matter what happens in the unicameral, our goal remains the same. Build a culture of life. And it's still true that legislatively is only one of the ways that we do that. No question that there are still organizations working to bring about legal protection for the unborn children. So thankful for those organizations. And in the meantime, we still have work to do. We still have work to do. And by the way, the situation in the legislature over the past few weeks should absolutely highlight the need for us to pray for our legislators. Pray for them. Pray for the ones working to establish legal protection for unborn children because they face immense pressure from the opposition. The battle to end abortion is also a spiritual battle. So there's pressure from that angle as well. So pray for those working to establish legal protection. There is a lot of spiritual warfare and there is a lot of loud, tangible opposition as well. And then, of course, 
pray for those who do not believe that unborn children should be protected by the law. Pray for the conversion of hearts for those whose hearts have been hardened. If you're just tuning in, this is Ready to Stand, Spirit Catholic Radio Network. And while you're at it, pray for those who have been involved in abortions. You heard my interview with Dr. Bruchalski over the last two weeks. You know that I think that it is impossible to understand the abortion dynamic in this country without understanding trauma and without understanding defense mechanisms. Trauma is a potential response to witnessing the loss of bodily integrity. It's a very technical definition. The witnessing the loss of bodily integrity of oneself or someone else. An abortion absolutely qualifies. Those persons who have been involved in an abortion or multiple abortions could have a trauma response. Not everyone. Okay, I'm not suggesting that every person who has ever had an abortion has a trauma response. But I am saying that the percentage is much, much higher than most people imagine and higher than most people would guess. Witnessing or experiencing the death of an unborn child even if you have dehumanized the child or don't believe it's a person yet or whatever, witnessing or experiencing the death of that child could absolutely bring about a trauma response. What does a trauma response look like? Well, it can look like a lot of different things. It can look like heightened emotional responses when faced with stimuli that remind a person of the event. That is, when reminders pop up, we get these emotional responses. About 10 years ago, I was involved in a car accident, totaled my car. I was stopped on an off-ramp, the interstate, and I looked up in my rearview mirror just in time to notice that the car behind me was not stopping and was about to barrel into me, which he did. My glasses went flying. I hit the car in front of me. The car was done for. I was fine, but I was pretty shook up. And that was a scenario in which I could have potentially developed a trauma response. My bodily integrity was threatened, although I ended up okay, praise the Lord. But to this day, I get extremely nervous when I have to abruptly stop in traffic. And when I look up to my rearview mirror, every time there's a little jolt of anxiety, you know what I mean? A little jolt of anxiety. As I remember that in that very instant, the fear of seeing that car barrel into me from behind. There is a stimuli there that reminds me of the accident that I was in. And it produces in me a heightened emotional response. And it happens every time. But there could be other emotional responses as well. Anger, frustration, fear. It just depends on the traumatic event, the situation, and and how things unfolded. And this is oftentimes what I see in abortion supporters. A lot of anger, a lot of denial about the humanity of the unborn child, a lot of frustration about the possibility that abortion could become illegal. And this makes perfect sense. If you've had an abortion and now someone is trying to make abortion illegal, they are implying or stating that you have done something immoral and you don't believe that you have. You are going to be upset. 
or psychologically speaking, you know that you've done something immoral and your brain is trying to protect you. Defense mechanisms. Psychology 101. Your brain behaving in ways that protect you. Protect you from what, you might ask? Great question. The answer is reality. Your brain wants to protect you from reality. Our psyche will go to great lengths to protect us from a reality that is harmful for us. I've used this example before, but a person who is an alcoholic will go to great lengths to convince themselves that they do not have a drinking problem. And it's not that they're idiots. It's that their brain, their psyche is protecting them. It's a defense mechanism playing defense against a harmful reality that would be very difficult to come face to face with. A person who admits to himself that he has an alcohol problem has to face that problem. And that's a scary reality. If you admit that you have a problem, you have to do something about it. That's why people who acknowledge their problems and confront them deserve all the applause, all the respect in the world even if they aren't immediately successful in solving all the problems. It's a very difficult thing to acknowledge an addiction. In doing so, a person has already had to stare down his or her own psyche to see the problem. That's courageous behavior. But denial, of course, not the only defense mechanism. There are others that come into play. They all have the same role. All defense mechanisms have the same job. They protect us from a harmful or scary reality. Now think about abortion. Abortion is the taking of an innocent human life. Imagine a woman or a couple who is facing an unplanned pregnancy. She or they decide to have an abortion. They have taken an innocent human life. You have the trauma of abortion, perhaps, witnessing or experiencing the destruction of a child. And then you have a harmful reality that it might hurt to confront. You have defense mechanisms that protect the psyche from seeing or experiencing the harmful reality, the reality that an innocent human life has been taken. Trauma response mixed with defense mechanisms, and you get a lot of psychological confusion. And that confusion then presents itself in our cultural discourse on abortion. But the truth is that much of the anger that you see, much of the vitriol, has pain at its root. The pain of abortion, the grief. So just remember, when you see persons really angry at the pro-life movement or at persons working to protect unborn children, or persons working to establish legal protection for unborn children, you see people really angry about that. Pray for those people. Pray for them. And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that every single abortion supporter has had an abortion. I'm not suggesting that everyone who is angry at the pro-life movement has had an abortion. But you know what? Some of them have. Maybe a lot of them have. Maybe it's the men, too, who have been involved. I don't want to wade too deep into the weeds here. I could do a whole show on this. Perhaps that I will. But pray for those 
have had abortions. Every time that abortion is debated in the public square, as it has been over the past few months here in Nebraska, every time I think about how crucial it is to understand trauma, to understand grief, and to understand defense mechanisms, and to respond with mercy to those who are angry. Respond with mercy. You never know what someone has been through. And I really mean that. You never know what someone has been through. Doesn't mean that we condone the abortion, but we can still respond with mercy to people who may be hurting. And we don't know who is hurting. So we just be merciful to everyone. Easy plan. Our Heavenly Father is immensely merciful and desires the salvation of all of his children. And that includes those who are suffering after an abortion. And it includes those who are suffering after an abortion, but don't realize that they are suffering because of an abortion. Pray for those people. Please pray for them, would you? Lord, have mercy on us as we place our trust in you. The world is hurting. The situation surrounding LB 626 here in Nebraska reminds us that we must pray for our legislators. Pray for those who are trying to establish legal protection for unborn children. Pray for those who have been involved in abortions. Don't despair, though. Remember that God and justice go hand in hand. If you're just tuning in, this is Ready to Stand. Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Call in at kvss.com is the email. C-U-L-L-E-N at kvss.com. Our goal is still to build a culture of life. Our gospel reading this weekend, Sunday liturgy, John chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Oof. You know what? My heart was immensely troubled last week. I had a troubled heart. Lord, have mercy on us as we place our trust in you. Later on in the gospel, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way to eternal life. He's the only way. And then he goes on. There are all kinds of scenarios in the New Testament where I'm filled with empathy for the apostles. Okay, just imagine what it must have been like. Jesus says here, John chapter 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Wow, that is a lot. So we've seen the Father. So Philip says, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responds, have I been with you for so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Jesus is laying out Trinitarian doctrine in real time to the apostles. And they're struggling with it. Okay, not super surprising. But Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I am the way, the truth, the life. Place your trust in me. We have to have an eternal perspective about these things. Beg the Lord for mercy and place your trust in him. His justice is perfect. And remember that all the work we do to protect innocent children, all the work we do to serve pregnant mothers, all the work we do has Christ at its heart. Whatever we do for the least of these, whether that's an unborn child, whether it's a mother, whatever we do, we do to Christ himself. All our work should be oriented to Christ and have Christ as the goal, our relationship with Christ, as well as the relationships of those people that we encounter. Okay, 
I'm still heartbroken and stunned that the heartbeat act failed, but we place our trust in God. That is the way to go. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to eternal life. So we keep on building that culture of life. Like I said at the top, we still have work to do. And one way that we do that is by not only praying for those who have either chosen or experienced abortion, but by offering help and healing as well. And that brings me to some research that was released this past week by a group called Support After Abortion. Support After Abortion. The group released what is called a white paper. A white paper, which is basically it doesn't have anything to do with the color of the paper or the people who released it or the people it is intended for. A white paper is basically a research-based report highlighting some key findings about a particular topic. White papers, they're informal. Uh, They're meant to be sort of explainers on, again, complex topics. So it's not straight research. It's not meant to be straight research. So the group, Support After Abortion, released a paper reflecting on some of their findings about how abortion harms men. This is not something that is frequently talked about. The culture has beat it into our heads that an abortion decision should be between a woman and her doctor. That's what we always hear about, isn't it? But of course we know that for every unborn child, there's a mother and there's also a father. And many times those fathers are neglected in the abortion decision. Not always. Sometimes they prompt the decision or even coerce the woman into it. But there are also cases where the father doesn't want the woman to have an abortion. And I'll never forget, I was working one of my first weekends with Rachel's Vineyard as a mental health practitioner, a post-abortion healing ministry, Rachel's Vineyard is. And we had a few guys on the weekend. And just hearing the raw emotion of their experiences, hearing how the abortion affected them, affected their relationships, their view of themselves, even in terms of how they viewed themselves as men, hearing how they were silenced, some of them. It was eye-opening for me. And as much as our culture likes to tell men to stay out of it, men are also adversely affected by abortion. And that's what this paper highlighted. Some of the noteworthy findings... 45% of men said they had no voice or were given no choice in the abortion. And it doesn't specify whether these men had wanted to keep the child or not, but almost half were given no choice. And I think that this is a difficult conversation to have just because of what the culture has told us for so long. We think of this conversation in terms of, well, are you saying a man should force a woman to birth a child she doesn't want. The father's opinion is worth more than the mother's opinion. It's just tough. Okay. You have to have the right frame of reference, but the bottom line is that 45% of the men were given no say. And frankly, that in itself could be a traumatizing experience. A man who wants to save his child and care for it and love it but is then robbed of the opportunity to do so, incredibly difficult experience. And believe me, I've seen guys who have struggled through this and it absolutely 
takes a toll on them. 45% of the men given no say. 71%, this is not surprising to me, 71% experienced an adverse change in themselves after the abortion. Again, go back to the idea of trauma, defense mechanisms, even among those who considered themselves pro-choice. A majority said that they were adversely impacted by the abortion. After the abortion, 51% of men surveyed sought help. That's over half. That's over half of the survey participants that sought help after an abortion. Can we do away with the narrative that abortion doesn't impact men? Do away with it. Over half of them sought help. And an additional 31% felt that even though they didn't receive help, they should have. Or they would have benefited from it. What this survey does is highlight the fact that even though our culture has told men they do not have a place in the abortion conversation, there are a lot of hurting men out there. Hurting men who have been, in many cases, silenced, had their own grief delegitimized. Don't fall into that trap. No matter what the culture tells you, tells us, abortion absolutely impacts men. It would be more absurd to insist that it didn't. It would be more absurd to insist that it didn't impact men, that men who, along with a girlfriend or a wife, experienced an unplanned pregnancy and who wanted to keep the baby, love the baby, raise the baby, men who perhaps fell in love with the baby even from the first moment, like many of us parents did. It would be absurd to insist that men in that situation would not be adversely affected if a woman chose not to keep the baby and chose to follow through with an abortion, robbing the man of his child. Of course, he would be adversely affected. Of course, he would. It would be absurd to claim anything else. Again, I understand it's a little culturally taboo to mention this. We've been told men have no say. But there's no way that you can convince me that men are not also profoundly impacted by abortion. Of course they are. It's their child too. And I've seen it. Anyway, you can find that survey at supportafterabortion.com, supportafterabortion.com. We're out of time today. Cullen at kvss.com is the email. C-U-L-L-E-N at kvss.com. Be sure to visit spiritcatholicradio.com dot com slash ready to stand for more information on this program or to listen to any past episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Really appreciate it. Keep the dial tuned right here to Spirit Catholic Radio, Catholic programming 24 hours a day, helping you encounter Jesus. Ready to stand will return next Saturday at five o'clock. You can always catch the encore Sunday at 530 and we will talk more about how to build a culture of life In the meantime, God bless you, be ready to stand, and as always, be not afraid. You've just heard Ready to Stand on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Send your questions and comments to cullen at kvss.com. That's cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N, at kvss.com. Be ready to stand every Saturday afternoon at 5 and Sunday afternoon at 5.30.